This is the JP Maroney Audio Vault. The best investment, in my opinion, that an entrepreneur can make is in getting more customers. The Once you know your numbers, here's the facts. Once you know your numbers of what a client is worth to you over their lifetime and how much they spend in their initial transaction and each subsequent transaction, how frequently they come back and buy again, what their average referral factor is. Like if the average you know, client refers you know, 0.5. In other words, for every two clients you get, you get one referral. Or for every one client you get, you get three referrals. Whatever your numbers are, once you know your numbers, then going all in on buying new customers is, in my opinion, the absolute supreme investment that an entrepreneur can make in their business because it pays back. It may take a week to pay back. It may take a month to pay back. It may take six months or a year to pay back, whatever that number is. But I ask people, if you could go to a well and stick a $10 bill in the well, and then you pull that, you know, in a bucket and drop it down, and then you pull that bucket back up and there's a $20 bill in the bucket, how many times would you be willing to stick a $10 bill and drop it down in the well? And, you know, everybody goes, oh, man, as often as, you know, as I could. And some guys will say, well, I'd automate it, right? Or I'd get somebody else to drop it down in the butt, whatever it is. But the fact is, is that you're creating a predictable flow of money, making money on your money. Well, buying customers is exactly like that. If you're putting money into generating leads and you know a certain percentage of them will convert into customers or clients for your business, then you can predictably grow and you can accelerate the velocity or the pace at which you grow. That's Mm -hmm. very, very exciting. And so if I'm looking at leverage of money for a business, that's the ultimate leverage. Now, there's another kind of leverage, and if you want to talk about it, we can talk about it, but I love the idea. I learned a lot of this from Jay Abraham years ago about leveraging off of other people's resources in terms of who they already sell to. And to me, that is like the big win because it costs you little to nothing up front, but you get to access or acquire clients very, very quickly. And that's a great way for somebody that's trying to them. Yeah, JP, I do want to talk about that, but let's 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 go back to let's go back to because what you just said, man, is extremely profound, and I don't know everybody listening if they understood if they digested how profound what you just said was, right? And so so I so I want to I want to unpack it a little bit, you know. And so so what you said was you said, hey, if you know the value of a client, right? So and 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 you and I both know, right? That's lifetime value of a client, right? So if you if you're if you get a client and you can make a hundred dollars off that client through selling to them again, and again, one thing that everybody should realize is that you know the easiest way to make a sale is by selling to somebody who's already bought from you, right? They know, like, and trust you. Hundred percent. You know, so, and so how much are they worth to you through selling selling to them again or their referrals? Once you understand the value of that client. Right? Then you can just spend up to that maximum. If they're worth 100 bucks, look, you can spend up to $90 or $900 or $9,000 in order to acquire that client. So understanding lifetime value. And, and, and look, would you say, I'm, I'm really curious about this, in your experience, I know you coach people, you do this for a lot of people, is that a big like failure point? Is people not 
going back and looking at the lifetime value of a client. They just look at customer acquisition costs instead of looking at the long-term picture. I stand in front of audiences of 100 to 1,000 business owners and ask that question. How many of you know exactly what the lifetime value of a client is? And you have to qualify it for people. So a lot of people don't even know the formula. So right. the lifetime value of an average client is this. It's what is the total average and you can look at it in gross sales, you can look at it gross profits, you can look at uh, you know other numbers. But over their lifetime, based on the average number of years that a client will stay with you. So I will give them the formula and I'll walk them through an example. Like you said, $100. I'll say, so let's say that the average client spends you know $500 with you initially and they do that twice a year. So that's $1,000 and on average they stay with you three years. So that's $3,000 just for you know, example sake. So the average client's worth three thousand dollars. I would. Uh, I've asked the question over and over again. I'm. I'm always surprised by the answer or by the lack of answers. Less than twenty percent of the audience. Sometimes less than five or ten percent of the audience. And we're talking a lot of them experienced, successful business owners that are doing. Let's just say anywhere from a million to 10, 15, 20 million a year in sales. Guys that have decent sized companies, they've been building it for a few years, they've, they've got people working for them, they're investing money in advertising, and most of them don't know what the value is. Here's the other number that very few people know, and that is what is a client, average client costing them right now? Most people right. don't know that number. And the numbers are not hard to come up with. Like you could take the number, the amount of money you've spent in new customer, not servicing existing. So for example, if you're doing barbecues for your clients or you're mailing out a newsletter to your existing clients, take that number out of it. Whatever amount of money you have spent in acquiring new business, trade shows, digital advertising, print advertising, whatever you're spending to get new business, direct mail, whatever it is that you're out there spending money on, add all those numbers up for the last six months, divide it by the by six so you know what your average monthly amount is, and then add up all the new customers that you've gotten, divide it by the six months, or if you want, you can take the total number for the six months and then the total number of new customers over the six months. That will tell you what it's costing you to get a new client. Most of the time, it's one of two things. They're surprised in both cases. Most of the time, they're either surprised because they realize they're not spending nearly enough money out there to accelerate their business growth. So they're relying off of referrals or their coasting or whatever, word of mouth, uh, their reputation yep. in the market, et cetera. Or they find out that they're spending crazy sick amounts of money on average to get a new customer because they haven't been really investing in things that work or tracking what works and what doesn't and getting rid of what doesn't work. And so I've sat down with guys before and found out that the average client was worth, for example, I had one retailer one time, I sat down with him, we were talking, went over the numbers, and I was trying to convince him to do a particular campaign, which I did later. Um, but when I was doing the numbers with him, we found out the average client was worth $2,400, and we found out that he was spending on average $400 to get a new client. And I said, think about this for just a second, Shannon. If you 
are already spending $400, whether you knew it or not, that means that we could go out there and spend up to that same amount of money and know that we were doing as good or better than what you're currently doing. But if you know the $2,400 number, then you could spend, as you said, if you wanted to, you could spend $2,399 and still make a profit. No one would ever want to do that. That'd be kind of a silly way to grow a business. But you would know that you could do that and still be profitable. Without knowing those numbers, you're, you're flying blind. You, you absolutely don't know what you can afford to spend, and you don't know what you are spending to get a new client. Um, one of the guys here on our team, he, he says all the time, no math, no money. And I believe that. Um, I, I think that you, you absolutely have to know your math. You have to know what a client's worth. You have to know what you're currently spending. And then you have to also, some other numbers you have to know is what your conversion numbers are. So how many prospects or leads do you have to be in front of with your complete sales process that could be a funnel, it could be taking people in a store or an office or getting them on the phone, whatever your complete sales process is, um, going out, if you're a real estate agent, going out on a, a, an appointment for a listing or a, a buyer uh, agent representation, whatever that might be. But whatever that sales process is, how many people do you have to put that complete sales process in front of to be able to convert one customer, one buyer? And once you know that number, then you can break it down and reverse engineer it and know what you can afford to spend to generate a lead. And that's the more powerful number. Because once you know what yeah. you can afford to spend on a lead, then you can you can reverse engineer your advertising dollars and know how to go and spend them efficiently. Yeah. I, man, that was, again, brilliant. That should be a TED Talk, JP. I loved it. Um, and, and, I, and I agree with everything you, you said. Here's let me throw something at you that I hear commonly because you know we put what we do JP here like how we how we support the show is you know we put people on radio and television so we're we're direct marketers and we believe in you know direct revenue right you spend a thousand dollars we want to see you get you know earn a return now when I'm talking with people and I'm looking at what they're doing and I and I, and I just like you I commonly see people doing stuff that doesn't work and I know it doesn't work. And I go, dude, stop that, right? Stop that. But people are so invested in, like, no, no, this is my idea, and I've been doing it for a long time. And I'm like, dude, just stop that. And here's what I'll, I'll, I will commonly hear, and it drives me nuts. I'll go, how much did you what, – what's the return on that? Now, they don't know those numbers most of the time, right? And you said something, again, profound, right? If you are not measuring it, you can't manage it, right? Everything's math. Right. If right. we know how many people we need to get in front of, like we can literally reverse engineer it to know how many hours a day we need to work. Right? If you can't measure it or not measuring, you can't manage it. What would you say to those people who are, are spending money on marketing slash advertising? It's not working, but, but here's their excuse to go, yeah, but it's good branding. <laughs> what, do you think about, what do you think about that? Because I hear it all the time. Um, yeah, it's good branding or we're doing it for the exposure. Yeah. Right. Um, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, well, you know, if you can't measure it, then how do you know if it's working or not? And yeah. if you if you are out there, if you have money to blow, okay, let's let's say that. If you have money to blow, then go for it. Do all the branding you want. But if you're like a lot of business owners, where you need every dollar to pull its weight. And every investment that you make into that company to produce some kind of a return on investment, 
then you absolutely need to be investing in something that is trackable and measurable, some form of response. It could be someone filling out a form. It could be calls. It could be store visits. Every bit of this is measurable these days. There is nothing in the marketing space that that you cannot measure. You know, even press coverage these days, and you mentioned radio and TV, and I we haven't gone over your business model in detail, so I don't know completely what you do. But, you know, if you're talking about PR type stuff, you can even put tracking links on stuff like that and have custom mm-hmm. URLs that redirect. There's just a way to measure and track everything that you're doing so that it brings back the information that you need to know whether or not to continue investing in that or to not. I say if you're either not investing in client acquisition, measurable client acquisition, or if you're investing in advertising but you're not measuring and tracking, you're just basically throwing mud against the wall, then you deserve everything you don't get. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. I love it. All right, man. So listen, JP, we got to start wrapping up. You seem like a very smart guy. You're you're actually smarter than um, uh, than uh, I thought. Look, yeah, rarely it, it's on. I've been doing this for a while, and it's rare that I get a guy who is as uh, as well versed and and just just you're a smart guy, man. Um, so my here's my question to you, right? We always ask for a book recommendation. How did you get so smart? If, here's a setup. I'm an aspiring agent. I'm an aspiring entrepreneur. I have 25 bucks, JP. What book should I go get right now? You have 25 bucks. Uh, number one, I, I'm, I'm one of those funny kind of guys is I would say buy used books and, and get more. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. Um, sure. But if you could only read one book right now, wow, without knowing what their gaps are. You know, because we don't know sure. what the gaps are. Um, but without knowing what their gaps are, I go back to selling what you and I were talking about. There's a great book. It's an old book. It's um, How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Betker. And he was a Dale Carnegie protege, came up under many years, like when Dale Carnegie was on the platform touring and they got to know each other. And Fr- Frank Betker was a, a baseball player who I think had gotten injured and had gone into insurance sales. And um, Dale Carnegie was mentoring him. And it turned out he started doing his talk, and the talk turned into other things, telling his story, etc. But one of the things that I learned from that book that has made me very, very powerful in sales or persuasion is the ability to ask questions. Hmm. Um, if you prepare your questions in advance... And if you think about what are the right questions that you should be asking your prospect or your market, they will actually tell you how to close them. Yes. And um, that has never failed me. But see, what's really interesting is that, um, what is it, Um, the, the, what was the philosopher guy, the whatever method... I'm, I'm losing the... Socratic method. Socratic method. Thank you. So, you know, the idea of asking questions, Socrates was was known for and all that. But um, Tony Robbins says, you know, the what power of your life or something is the power of the questions you ask yourself or something like that, you know. But um, asking questions, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful mechanisms. I won't even call it communication skills or sales skills or persuasion skills. 
I think it's one of the most powerful questions or more powerful methods or strategies that you can invoke into your life. Because if you learn to ask questions, number one, you can come up with the right answers for yourself from yourself. We all have knowledge that we're not tapping into. I even did, I think my video editor did a, a an Instagram rant um, the other day about this on my Instagram where I had put this question down to myself and put it in my Evernote and then went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up with the solution. And I advocate that idea of letting, wow. your, mind, letting your mind go to work on things um, while you're asleep. Because if you ask the right questions, wow. then you can arrive at the right answers. But see, that works with asking your market what they want or what their pains and frustrations are. So if you're investigating your market, you could write down all these questions like, where do they hang out? What do they read? Uh, what are their problems, challenges, frustrations? What are they going to sleep thinking about at night and frustrated with? What are they waking up upset and frustrated? You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, the, the true meaning of success in business is to find a need and fill it. I think that's only partially right. I'd rather find a want and fill it than a need because a lot of people need a lot of stuff that they'll never spend money to fix, but they right. will, they'll move heaven and earth to get what they want. And yeah. so, um, but you just got to get in the habit of asking the right questions. And um, I heard a guy many, many years ago um, on the platform, I'm trying to think of his, of his name, Peter Daniels. He was from Australia. And he made a statement. He said, he or she who asks the questions controls the conversation. And I love that because whether you're talking to uh, you know, a kid, uh, you're talking about your kids, you know, you're selling them on eating their vegetables or whatever, but whether you're talking to your children or whether you're talking to a spouse or you're talking to a business partner or you're talking to a prospective customer or you're talking to you're in a negotiation to buy a piece of property, whatever it is, contract negotiation, asking the right questions will make you the absolute supreme, most powerful person that you'll ever, ever be. And so I think the idea of asking questions originally came to me in reading that, that book, How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling. It'll certainly help the people that are in your audience that are trying to sell more real estate, but it's, it's extremely powerful if you can adopt that mindset of constantly asking questions of others and asking yourself questions. That's awesome. So everybody, if you want to go get that book or any other, get a free copy on us. Just go to audibletrial.com slash superagentslife. Go get it. Now, JP, let me, I think you're right, right? Asking questions is super important. And here's what I would say, and I want to get your opinion because you're, you're a smart guy, is I think the, the foundation of asking good questions, honestly, is, is really just being curious. You know, I mean, before we started this interview, you know, your people, you asked me questions and said, hey, what are the questions, right? What's the setup? And I never have any, right? I just get a feel for who you are and I try to dig into, you know, what you might know about or what you're interested in and because and, I'm genuinely curious and I think that's what, that's what makes this show good. You know, for those people who, like, who believe you and say, yes, asking questions is, is a good foundation of selling or whatever, you know, what, what, what mindset do they need to adopt? Because not everybody's good at this. Well, if you walk through, let's say you're going to use it for a sales process. I, this is something that's so applicable to anyone that's listening because everyone has a meeting coming up. It may be coming up in an hour after you hear this podcast, or it might be coming up tomorrow or the next week. But everyone has a meeting that's coming up. What I would suggest is you just use the next meeting as an experiment. 
whatever meeting, if it's a meeting with a team member or a partner, a business partner, or it's a meeting with a prospective customer or an existing client, prepare, sit down and walk through that meeting in your mind and figure out where do I want this meeting to ultimately end up? What is my goal? And if your goal, like for you, like you said, your goal is to, to express that genuine curiosity and then just to dig in and find more. So you have some questions, I guarantee you, in whether they're written down, they're kind of your go-to. Like you asked the one at the beginning, tell us about yourself, gets a person talking. But, yeah, right. the, the, but the fact is, is that if they think about their next meeting and, and literally walk, close your eyes and walk through that meeting in your mind of what you, how you want it to progress how you think it might progress, and what information you need in order to produce the result that you want. So, for example, if you're trying to get a business partner to agree with you to uh, invest money in doing a trade show, right? Y'all got to sit down and talk about this trade show, and you're going, look, I think the trade show is a good idea, and your business partner is going, but I think we should put our money in Facebook, right? So what questions do you need to ask yourself, and then what questions do you need to ask your business partner in order to advance your cause. And so you would think about, okay, so, you know, John, how much money were you thinking about putting into the, into the Facebook advertising? Well, I was thinking about, putting, so what were you hoping to get from that? How many, you know, like you, if you sat down, you could begin to write down a set of questions that at least would help you uncover what the other person's thinking, what the other person wants, and then to be able to maybe bridge that and say, well, how could we both get what we want? Or how could, you know, what is the best move? Uh, you know, what is the best um, method or movement forward for us? And that information only will come by asking the right questions. And so I suggest sit down, think through the next meeting. Where do you want the meeting to end up? What is the outcome you're looking for? And what are the questions that you need to ask to uncover the information that you would need to be able to, to close the deal or sell your point or get your point across? And if you experiment, the, the more you do it, the easier it gets. So like, yeah. and once you adopt that, it's funny because I have a 20, I have three daughters. So I have a 20, a 12 and a seven. And at the time of this interview, and my 20 year old is in entrepreneurial studies at Florida Institute of Technology. She's a junior in college. And she came wow. back to me the other day. And she's in fact, she was talking to me in front of her boyfriend, who's an engineering student who just went in his internship is in the sales engineering sales for a robotics company. And so I was helping him prepare for a presentation. We were talking about this stuff. And she said, it's so funny because now that I'm old enough to see it, I see all this stuff my dad used to do to me when I was a kid with ah. these conversations because I would use questions. I Instead yeah. of telling them what I wanted them to do or whatever, I'd say, well, what about this? Well, what about that? Well, if this happens, what do you think is going to happen? And if this happens, what? Do, and if they do this, what do you think is going to be the outcome? And if you ask them, you can actually lead someone to make the right decision or conclusion if you ask the right questions. And that's why I love that Peter Daniels thing. He or she who asks the questions controls the conversation. And if you ever get in a corner, this will help people. If you ever get in a corner and somebody asks you a question, you can just say this. You know what? That's a very interesting question. Why do you ask that? <laughs> yeah whoa that's a good one yeah that's a good i and I, again i agree with you jp and i don't do this i, I normally i disagree with people and that's the the kind of the, one of the things on the show here but i agree with you you know ask questions and i here's 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 the thing i would add so ask good questions think about questions 
And then listen, man. This is the problem. People ask questions, right? They know the outcome they're driving towards, and they, they, they do a good job of asking questions, and then they fail because they fail to listen. The other thing I'll tell you with my kids, I, I do ask them a lot, and my wife. Here's what drives me or them crazy, and I'm sure you're, you're good at this too, is I also talk in illustrations. Like when I talk, I'm like, okay, well, it's kind of like this, and I give them an analogy. And uh, I'm actually doing some marriage counseling right now with my wife. And when we're talking with the counselor, right, like I always use illustrations and, and it's driving them crazy. It's driving the therapist crazy because she's like, you, just tell me, right? Just stop, you know, and I can't, I can't talk without using illustrations. So uh, do you have that problem? This is me being curious. Do you, do you talk in illustrations half the time? Um, I do talk in illustrations a lot, but the other thing I do is I talk backwards and my wife picks on me about that. So um, she'll say, no, no, go to the beginning because I will actually start at the end and start start framing Feeling you know, what I'm going to say yep. or why I'm saying it. And so it feels like <laughs> I'm talking backwards. And and what I'm trying to do is trying to prepare the person, you know, and, and it's not like right, I'm for, trying to be like an NLP expert. It's just it comes natural to me to like go out and then frame everything and then come back and say what I want to say. And she'll pick on her. Right. She'll say that. She'll say, no, just say what you're going to say. And then... <laughs> So, yeah, talking backwards is what I call it. I do that same thing, too. And when they go say what I want to say, I'm like, no, I can't say what I want to say because if I say it, you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to agree with it, right? Let me, let me, let me, right. I do the same thing, man. God. Oh, man. Well, you're one of those guys, JP, that I could talk to for forever, but we have to, we have to end it. Um, You know, I'm going to try something that you said, right? You said you came up with a question, you put it in your Evernote, you went to sleep, and you woke up with a solution. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that tonight, actually. Um, Do do you have any other daily habits or routines that you think have contributed to your success, JP? (sighs) Um, Well, writing things down is a big big deal, and it's not just – I still carry an old style journal, even though I'm sort of torn between between two worlds. So I put tons of stuff in Evernote, um, and I send myself notes in Slack, which we use for our team chat and stuff. But I also still write down. I was doing it this morning. I still write in a physical journal. Um, I believe this. I be, and, and this would be something worth people writing down. I believe this is that writing is very powerful. Writing crystallizes thought, and thought motivates action. By the specific power of writing something down, I'm not the scientist, but I know other people have proven why this works. It connects in a way that other just talking and other things don't. It connects mentally with a person like with whatever in your nerves, your systems, your, your psyche or whatever. And writing things down does have a profound effect on solving problems, thinking things through, certainly remembering things. Like I've, I've said this before, you could write a to-do list at the beginning of a day, a day, you know, write down three or seven or 10 or 20 things, whatever that you want to accomplish, wad up that piece of paper and throw it away and never look at the list the rest of the day. You'd still most likely get more done than if you had not made the list to begin with. There's something very powerful and profound about writing things down. And I think the more people can do that, the better off they are. It'll help you solve your problems. I wrote an article about this, I think, in Huffington Post three or four years ago about the power of of drawing a line down the center of a piece of paper. I learned this from 
um, Dr. Robert Schuller, the you know the pastor that created Crystal Cathedral many years ago, in one of his yep. books he talked about solving problems. I think it was Tough Times Never Last, but Tough People Do. That was the name of the book. Um, but he he would write a, a line down the center of a paper, and on one side he would write down all the things that could go wrong if he made this decision, and on the other side write down all the things that would go right. And then another thing is he would write a ten list. This is actually what I wrote the article about. Excuse me, uh, wrote a list of ten th- things. So he would write down ten different ways he could solve the problem, and sometimes it was as simple as breaking down. So let's say that you need. by the end of the month, right? To be able to close on a piece of property or to be able to pay certain bills or fix something, whatever it was, you needed $10,000. You could write down, well, I need one person, one source of $10,000. So if you're a real estate agent, you could reverse engineer that and figure out what you got to sell to get $10,000 commission. But I need 10,000 from one person or I need 5,000 from two people or 2,500 from four people or, you know, you break it down. And all of a sudden what it does that little exercise is it forces the mind to start thinking about ways that things can happen. So, so many times we're, we're focused on why it can't happen. That's we're like, Oh my God, I'm, right. I'm in trouble. And, and like, I can't fix it, etc. But when you activate your mind and then you put your hand into action, writing something down of figuring out, okay, so if there were a solution, what could some of those ideas be? Writing that stuff down is massively powerful. You've been listening to the J.P. Maroney Audio Vault. Get more content plus free bonuses and resources at jpmaroney.com slash VIP.